welcome to the very first episode of Burger Bounce, a podcast by Steak and Honor. My name is Charlie and I'm going to be your host for this series. Everyone loves a burger, right? But what's the best burger you've ever eaten? Where was it? And what was in it? Over the next six episodes, I'll be chatting to local chefs, food bloggers and industry insiders to find out their most favourite burger. In today's episode, I talked to our lovely friend and incredibly talented chef and author, Rosie Sykes. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Hello, Rosie. Hi. Um, we're going to talk about burgers. That will come a bit later. But first of all, I want to talk to you about your career, your love of food and where it all started for you. Excellent. Well, yeah, so Charlie, I've... Um... I have loved food from a very early age. I was the youngest of four kids and food was always on the agenda really. When I was little it was loads and loads of baking. Uh, we had this amazing three-tiered cake tin that was from the, in the 70s that was see-through and each layer um, would have different biscuits and cakes in and I'd love coming home and seeing what was in the cake tin. So I've always had a sweet tooth. And I remember getting into terrible trouble age five or six for coming downstairs early one morning to make custard. <laughs> Not for anyone else either, I don't think, just for me. Uh, birds custard, of course. Of course. Which I still love and make and use, actually, in my baking. I love a, um, a bird's custard's great in a biscuit. Um, but, yeah, so food was always there my family were all really into food when I was small as well my mum had a voluntary job at weekends and uh, on Wednesdays and so my dad was left in charge and I remember him getting into terrible trouble for um, sitting me up on the bench next to him while he fried liver and bacon and um, me getting splashed with the oil from the liver and bacon I loved the liver and bacon and I don't think I even mind getting splashed with her fact but uh it did cause a bit of um a bit of trouble in the household <laughs> um and then as i uh got older a lot of my I, I like i said i was the youngest and most of my family had left home and my mum sort of had had enough of cooking by then so i kind of took it over um and i loved talking to my siblings when they came home in holidays about what they wanted to eat and i'd cook for them and we'd all cook together actually um then when I went off to uni, I used it as a way to earn money. So I would cook dinner parties for all sorts of contacts, different strange people. So I did things like I did um, a dinner which ended up all the recipes in the um, evening standard because it was for some glamorous socialite, which which was hilarious because I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> Another, I did um, a private view at the Courtauld Institute for a thousand people. Imagine, oh my God! <laughs> and I was I was a student. I was in my fourth year at uni, so I was twenty one or something. What did you do at uni? Um, I studied Spanish, oh, wow. so I'd lived abroad for a year, which again had really influenced my my cooking. And I, when I was in Spain, actually, um, side story, but quite a funny one. I the university that we were um, enrolled in, we were living in Granada in the south of Spain. They had their classes really early in the morning, so eight a.m. and it was up a really steep hill, and that just doesn't fit in with Spanish lifestyle because we would be out nearly every night till four o'clock in the morning so getting up at eight and walking up it's a hill not gonna was happen. not gonna happen yeah 
But I had the most brilliant education because I became friends with a lot of Spanish people. And so we would sleep in till midday, then we'd go to the market, uh, buy loads of delicious fresh vegetables, amazing fish, incredible things from all these tiny market mm. traders, speak loads of Spanish, have a few beers and a few little tapas, go home, cook a really great meal, have a siesta, go out for the night, um, rinse and repeat day in day out so very good education yeah, wow education. sounds amazing yeah it was really good um and then um just after i left uni i started working in an office but i was still cooking to earn extra money because i loved it and and it was a great way just still to be making a bit of cash and there was this one particular lady who i cooked for a lot who was very um quite kooky um and at, normally at the end of every evening she'd roll an enormous spliff and <laughs> and we'd sit and um, smoke it with her and sort of talk about the evening and um, and then I'd wander home I'd always have a friend who'd help me out and this particular evening we had to walk over Clap Clapham Common to get home um, and we were a little bit worse for wear and we bumped into a chap um, who uh, was tightrope walking on the rugby there, there were rugby uh, goals on, on Clapham Common at that time. And he was tightrope walking. He was amazing. And so we sat and had a chat and I think probably another spliff. Um, the thing I haven't mentioned in this story is that I had in my ha hot little hand since the beginning of starting cooking for the dinner party a letter that I really needed to post, which was an entry for a cook of the year competition, which was being held by the independent newspaper. So um, I had sworn that whatever else I did that evening, I had to post this letter. So I woke up the next morning and um, ha knew I hadn't posted the letter, had no idea where it was, rang the dinner party hostess, she hadn't seen it, uh, convinced myself we must have left it on Clapham Common. So I sent back my, my friend who'd been helping me in his pyjamas on his bicycle <laughs> to look for it. He didn't find it. So I thought, well, I'm obviously not destined to be mm. chef of the year. Anyway, three weeks later, I got a call and um, they said, you're in the top 10 and you need to come and do a cook-off. So some kind soul has obviously found this envelope or perhaps we had stumbled past the postbox. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, so that was kind of what cemented my idea that I would become a chef because although I didn't win the competition, all the judges at the dinner afterwards said to me, because I was a lot younger, I was sort of 25 years younger than anyone else in the competition. And they all said, you know, we feel like you should seriously consider a, a, a career as a chef. There aren't a lot of women in, in this industry, but, you know, you seem like the kind of person who really could could go for it. So that really did spark my interest. Um, and my sister had been at university with someone who was a chef in Soho at a restaurant called Alistair Little's, and she was the sous chef. And she was very successful, um, doing really, really well. So I went to see her and I said, what should I do? And she suggested to me that I went to cookery school. Mm -hmm. So I went to um, a school for a year, um, which I didn't love, I have to say, because uh, perhaps I'm not, I'm not the greatest at education, I'm not sure. But I, 
there was a lot of technical stuff that I really enjoyed learning, but there was a lot of technical stuff that I found very unnecessary. Like perfect example was the Christmas project was to decorate a Christmas cake. So all these people were making beautiful wreaths out of pastillage, you know, sugar, sugar flowers and snow scenes and snowmen and all sorts. Um, whereas I, all I did was paint mine silver. I think I might have shoved some sort of cherub on the top <laughs> and gone down the pub because that that was my level was, of interest. Yes, exactly, that. in that kind of intricacy. Um, so, but that was, it was interesting uh, at the culinary school because it was um, a very sort of formal place and it was nearly all women, actually, a huge amount wow, of women. Okay. Um, but they all had a very different idea of a career path, uh, a very specific career path. A lot of people who wanted to be private chefs or ski season chefs or food stylists and people in that kind of world. So actually, I was a bit of a renegade a because i just do things like what i did with my christmas cake but b because i wanted to go and work in a professional proper kitchen yeah um and, and one of the reasons that i really wanted to do that actually was because before i ended up at the school i went to i went to another college which was a, a local authority college which had a very very good reputation met a male the head teacher, who was a male ex-chef, and um, he said to me, you won't be able to do it. It's it's too hard for a woman. You won't wow. be able to do it. okay. Um, so it was a challenge at this yeah, point, then, to yeah, prove this guy wrong. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. And I thought, well, I don't know where, how you can even say that. You don't know anything about me, but also, I can do it. Of course I can do it. Um, so then I applied for my first job which was with the a woman called Joyce Molina so I'd chosen a female chef yeah she was the did first... you purposely choose a female chef like was did that go through your head or were you just like I need no. to get a job and I'm just going to get one or was it just kind of fortuitous that she so was a female chef? it just so happened that yeah. she was someone I had always admired yeah but she was also the first woman in the UK to get a Michelin star Wow. She was 90 this year. She's the Amazing. most incredible yeah. woman. Um, but I'm, I'm sure somewhere in my subconscious there was something about her yeah. being a woman. Um, actually, her kitchen was run by a chap um, because even at that stage she was um, in her mid-60s and she wasn't cooking as much. But she was still our figurehead. Mm -hmm. Um but um, from the point of view of working in kitchens, I have worked for a lot of women. Mm. Um, and in fact, I'm trying to think of the kitchens where I haven't been working for women. Oh, so my second job was for a Michelin starred chef in his very small restaurant in Shropshire. Um, and it, but he was the only other chef. It was only him and me. And um, I lived in their house. I was like their, their new child. <laughs> and they paid me the tiniest salary. It was like being a stagiaire almost. You know, like a. I was very, very junior. But I learned an enormous amount because I was the only other person yeah. there. Apart from his wife, who cooked, did a lot of the pastry cooking um, and also did front of house. 
So I think it's hard to judge whether that was a very that wasn't a, a normal. It's not, kitchen. yeah. What what you would kind of people think in yeah, their head of, of these shouty, you know, kind of male dominated, yeah, kitchen environments. Yeah. So you've been lucky enough to kind of escape I those. Have. Yeah. And I wonder again if that has been a subconscious effort on my part, or mm. if it has just been that all the people that I have ended up wanting to work with or being asked to work with have been women Mm. but um that doesn't mean that everybody in the kitchen is women but I think that having a a strong focus on a female kitchen yeah makes the men in those kitchens act in a very different way in a much uh more respectful respectful sensitive because if you're in a group of women, you know what it's like. Yeah. You always you want to make sure everyone's okay. You yeah. you check in with everyone. It's not right head down work. You know it's a it's a it's more it's more like a family. Yeah. Um, and and I personally have always tried to engender that in my own kitchen, which I think you know you, you absolutely did. I mean you know we know each other from when Leo worked at Fitzbillies. And there's a whole host of people that came through yeah. you that we are very, now very good friends with Jack and Tom and so many people and everyone who's worked with you, it is, it's like, well, we always laugh, don't we, and say that they're your boys because you always <laughs> have this kind of harem of young chefs that kind of yes. like hanging on your every word. Um, but it very much is like that. That's, you know, the imp- first impression that I got of yeah. you when I met is that, yeah, it was. It was like a kitchen family and everyone was there and no toxicity toxicity in any way shape or form um but i have worked with guys who've come to the kitchens that i've worked uh, mainly when i was working not when i've been running kitchens who um have worked in very unpleasant much more difficult environments and i think they really then appreciate coming into a more gentle yeah um i do have one friend who i work with a lot and he's a incredible chef but he his path was very michelin um and he worked with um ramsey and um all sorts of of shouty chaps yeah and i would call him he is on the um sensitive side of shouty Mm. Uh, so with me he would never shout at me i mean i'm older than him anyway so he wouldn't want to i doubt but um but i know that he can be quite gruff and quite mm. hard, um, and I wouldn't want to be on that side of him, but I also know that he is not a terrible version yeah. of that. But I have heard there are awful stories, and I think it does, it still carries on, but nowhere near. You know, people don't even want to, aren't even prepared to put themselves through what they chefs used to put themselves through so even those hours even the hours that people used to do that I used to do I used to do insane hours you know 16 hours a day or or more sometimes um people just aren't prepared to do that anymore it's not considered to be a sustainable job sustainable way to work or even a a sort of decent way to employ people um you know it's not that people still don't have the passion or the desire it's just that they they want a life as well and sometimes it's just inbred isn't it there's lots of things inbred in different industries and that's one of the things well that's what it was like for me so that's what I'm going to be like and as I work my way up you're going to get all the shit that I used to get yeah 
yeah. and it just goes on and on yeah. like that and you need people just to break it and be like actually no you can get so Very much done true. you can get the same quality of food the same amount of efficiency without being in this kind of Precisely. awful stressful environment yeah absolutely so where did you so you've written three books to date yeah. so how did book number one come about so that was partly because at that time I had had um, a column in the Guardian Weekend yeah. magazine for a few years. And um, uh, I had a great friend who I had met at the Carved Angel, which was my first job. She's also a female. Um, and she now works in social sciences, so not so much a chef. But when I came to London, she also came to London. I worked in a a very female-centric kitchen in Islington at a restaurant called Lola's. And she went to work at a brand-new restaurant called Morrow. Um, and um, she and I had always stayed friends. And she had been talking to someone who had no idea about um, kind of kitchen housekeeping and how to make your life easier by having a bit of a plan about... a so even from the shopping so when you went shopping you knew in your head what you were going to be cooking for four or five days and it all rolled into each other she didn't understand this she had a young family so she had asked my friend if she would help her and then my friend came to me and said look you've got a lot of experience of writing recipes um i've got the experience of having a family why don't we get together and write a book so that first book which was called the kitchen revolution was uh, a bit of a shock even to the publishers because it was um, a recipe for every day of the year. So it was 365 recipes and um, uh, then quite a few pudding recipes as well. So it must be That's a, over it's four, a big book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the publishers got hold of it, uh, they were surprised. And I think it became a little bit of a sort of, um here comes a courier for me. Can you maybe bear just with? Yeah. Before he knocks. Hi there. Thank you. Uh, um so uh what were we talking about? The publishers. It was a oh big yeah, book. so so that that was all a bit of a shock to them. And um it so it came out and it was very well received and we sold 15,000 copies which in the 90s was pretty good um, very good now gosh if my book sold that well now I'd be I'd it's be... a bit of a cult book though isn't it yeah I feel like it's one of those books that mo well, a lot of people have it you go to the, their houses you see it on the bookshelf and it's become kind of like a staple yes it's funny you should say that I tell you what's really funny is I often meet, I often work with kids now, or younger people now, who will say stuff like, my mum had that book, and she used to cook from that when when we were kids. Like, that's brilliant. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really funny, but it's a real joy, because they go home and tell their mum they've met Rosie Sykes. And mum's thrilled. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very sweet. And then they buy my other books for their mum, and so it's a... It's a win-win. Circle of life. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that was, yeah, that was a really exciting, fun project to work on. And, and that got me really into the idea of 
writing And it's books. quite an old-fashioned idea. So it would have been what mothers would have done in, like, the 50s. Exactly. The so they would literally have to plan. They didn't and eat everything, you know, make yeah. sure that everything was eaten. There was no waste. Exactly. Like all of those types of things. So it's not necessarily a new concept, but it's just a rem- reminding people. Exactly. This is... This is how you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's so prescient now, isn't it? Definitely. It's, it's what we need to do, but maybe for a slight for a different reason possibly we're doing it now. But it's still really important. Yeah. You know, we don't we mustn't be wasting and we must be grateful for what we have, that's for sure. Definitely. So yeah. And so book two so it is lovely. This yeah. and this is. I mean, I, all I think of this is coming out recently, but it wasn't, was it? It was about no. five years ago. Yeah. Is that right? Two thousand and seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was the Sunday Night Book. Yes. Which is lovely, absolutely lovely. And so, tell us about that. So that's a very different kind of book. That's much more like a kind of. For me, a lot of people who have it tell me that they sit up in bed and read it or yeah. you know it's it's a it's almost like a book you can just read and you don't have to necessarily cook from that it. would that would be me <laughs> yeah. i would just re- i'm never going to cook anything in it but it's a yeah. lovely book to read yeah, yeah that's exactly but it. if you do cook from it, it they're they're pretty simple recipes and i just think it's a really sweet concept it's you know, its subtitle is 52 Recipes to Make the Weekend Feel Longer, which is it's lovely. sweet. Yeah. And for me, that was a lot about my childhood because Sunday night cooking in our house was wonderful, but really simple. Like, you know, it could just be a cheese omelette or one of my favourite things was we had this cheese toasty machine, which I have here, which you put in the wood burner. Oh my! And, wow. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's got long handles, and you heat it up, and then you um, make like a cheese toasty in it, and there's a uh, flying saucer shaped. That is really cool. I made one the other day actually, but I've I'm out of practice. Well, first of all, you know I make sourdough bread, and it's the wrong shape for the cheese, a flying saucer. So I have to make sure that I get like regular shaped bread so that I can. Could you get Blackpool milk loaf? Yeah, would that's, that would that yes. fit like directly? Yes, it into probably it. There would. You go. Maybe that's why it's. Circular. I bought some Blackpool milkloaf not that long ago. Oh, did you? Where just, did you buy it from? Just from the supermarkets, just for uh, me because yeah. we, it was a treat when we were kids. Yeah, I saw it. I was like, I'm gonna get that. Did you have um, it when you were kids with butter and hundreds and thousands on? No, we'd have it with like if we went to the chippy. Sometimes my dad would get a loaf of that so have like chip sandwiches you know like oh, squash yes. really squ- with loads of butter and so butter good. melted yeah because it's really thin bread so essentially yeah. there would be chip more than bread yeah yeah but yeah just gorgeous oh i love a chip party. it's so, yeah, so nice yeah, yeah see it's so interesting isn't it the nostalgia of food i love it i absolutely yeah. love it yeah um what i love about that book is you've got an entire chapter called on toast yeah which <laughs> That's it. It's like, that's all you need. Especially yeah. on a Sunday, you know, what God, we're going to yeah. have. Like, if you're a bit hungover, all those yeah. things, you know. Um, I just, that so. alone, I just thought was great yeah. to have an entire chapter. And also because I did want to open a place called the Toast Office, which was... I mean, this is new information <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm here for it. Tell us more about the Toast Office. The Toast Office was literally going to be uh, a place where you could go and get things on toast. This is... Good. The toast <laughs> office. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I do think. Let's make it happen. I mean, yeah, come on. It could easily. It could. It could easily. Um, I do think toast is one of the finest things on the earth. 
Well, you you make your jams and marmalades because you very kindly always give them some to my dad, don't you? Yeah. Who yeah. is a huge fan of toast. Mm. Just likes toast a lot. Yeah. I'm not so much, but um, the whole thing becomes a... Um, I can't think of the word. Procedure. Um, yes. It's an event. Um, and I think there must be some nothing nicer than no. having your toast and your toast rack yeah. and your marmalade and your all of it laid out ready. Yeah. Really nice. But equally, it's just as much of a joy to be literally standing next to the toaster with the butter dripping down your arm off the piece of toast. Mm. So, yeah, it's a joyful thing, I think. And, yeah, I think that was the first thing I thought of when I thought of Sunday night. But equally, I got um, my great friends who have this fantastic pop-up cocktail bar called the Gimlet Bar to uh, do a chapter of cocktails because, you know, Sunday night could go that way. It could, could easily. Especially in the industry where lots of people get Mondays yeah, off. Exactly. So we're all kind of like having it's party time Sunday yeah, night, isn't it? it is. For lots of people. It totally is. Yeah. It took me a while to get my head around. Well, I was a nine to five girl, Monday to Friday, and then it flipped and it was like never ever had that Sunday night dread. Yeah. Yeah. I used yeah. to have that always yeah. for Monday morning and then I was like, Don't get it anymore. No. It just doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, that's a, good actually. It's a nice <laughs> Sunday night's really special, isn't it? And then your last book was the roasting pan. Roasting pan suppers. suppers. Yeah. So that came out just after the first lockdown. Uh, it was supposed to come out in this time last year and sadly we had to postpone it a little bit. Uh, but actually it's been it's been it's sold really well, it's been very popular. It's very simple concepts, just um This is a my kind of book. It's a throw everything Put in a pan, in the, yeah. whack it in the oven, exactly. pull it out, it's delicious, yeah. bish bash bosh. Exactly. Yeah, great. Walk away, do something else while yeah. it's all doing its thing. You yeah. do your thing, it does its thing. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really, I, it's a lovely book, I must say. Um, so what do you think, looking over, we've just gone through some small parts of your career, like you said, it's 25 years long. Yeah. Um, what are some of the highlights that you would say, looking back to think, you know what, when I got the first book was great, or was there something that you were like, this is great, I'm loving this, and it was, it was a real highlight for yeah. you? Yeah. So I think when I first moved to London, my first two restaurant jobs were outside London. And then I moved into London and I went to this restaurant called Lola's, which was had a female head chef and female front of house owners. So it was very female, but it was a fantastic place. It was, at the time, it was the place to go. Um, and we were always dead busy. It was a big kitchen. There were five or six chefs always on. And um, it was the kind of place that you would finish service at midnight, one o'clock, and you knew you needed to do at least an hour to an hour and a half of mise en place that night before you went home. Wow, okay to even be able to touch the mise en place that you would have to do when you got in in the morning. So it, it was a very, very hard place to work. And also it was very hard because all the cooking was a la minute, which means that we we had huge sections of prepared food, but you finished everything at the moment. So it was nothing sort of done in advance, really. Um, so it was very hard. So service there was incredibly hard. Um, and three hours would fly by and you wouldn't even realise you'd been there for three hours, but you would have been, because you have to concentrate so hard. 
but the, um, what happens then is that more than anything, the people you've worked with, you become incredibly close to. And that's where I made one of my greatest friends, who I think you've met. Um, he was called... Oh, no, I'm not sure if you did. He was called Tim. And he came and worked with me at Fitzbilly's for a little while. And he was an amazing, incredible guy. Um, I think that was a really amazing time in my life. I wouldn't get home till four in the morning and I'd be leaving again at eight. And it was really, really hard. Mm. But it was... When I wasn't working, I was partying. So, you know... I may have worked till half one, but I would have been partying until four. And then I'd be up again at eight. And it would be like that six days a week. You very rarely I mean, that's incredible. Off. That work. But when you're young, again, you just do it, don't yeah. you? And it's only when you look back now and you're like, wow, that was actually crazy. Yeah. There's no way I'd be able to do it no. now. But it, those halcyon days, it's yeah. like the, the rose-tinted spectacles of it being amazing. But it would have been hard graft. Really hard yeah. graft. If you got... If you got half an hour break, you'd go and lie down on the chest freezer. <laughs> you were always covered in burns. I mean, yeah. And when you think about it, it it's like something out of George Orwell, or you know. Um, but it it was brilliant. But the and best I say days, yeah. they were really amazing days. Really amazing days. But then I had my own place, which was a small pub in Smithfield, um, and. I had a really incredible team in the kitchen. Unfortunately, not an incredible... My business partner turned out to be a sociopath. <laughs> um, but uh, we managed to run it for a year before he disappeared, having uh, built up some inordinate debts, luckily not affecting me. Um, uh, but I had an amazing team there, and we got some really great um, reviews in national newspapers. And that that's pretty thrilling when people are turning up and you're fully booked for weeks on end because people have read about you yeah. in, in a national newspaper. So um, that was a really special time. Um, there are all sorts of different times mm -hmm. in my life. I worked for a little while in Delia Smith's office. That was a very different way of working. Um, I I didn't like the office life and I all we did every Friday, someone different brought a cake in and every Tuesday someone different brought a pie in and... We were all just like <laughs> roly poly people. <laughs> Sounds great. It does sound great, but you did just you weren't you know, I was used to being in a kitchen and you're always high moving energy. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. suddenly I was behind a desk just moving a mouse around. <laughs> Eating cake with exactly. the other hand. Exactly. Yeah. I sort of felt like I was in a laboratory. <laughs> but um yeah, so and then I loved coming to Cambridge, I loved working at Fitzbillies and the people I met. Mm. there mm. Have, were, have been really wonderful um, that's the great thing about kitchens is you make very good friends and lots of them you think you'll be friends forever and it can be very transient and you mm. lose touch and you never hear from them again but for example at Fitzbillies you know I've stayed in touch with you all mm. and you're all great friends and and I've just been so happy to see what's come out of you yeah. know us all getting to know each other and yeah um, so yeah, I've, I've been really lucky. I've had some amazing things happen you to have. me in my life. We, yeah. we could literally sit here for hours. I know, because we haven't even got into me cooking on stage or anything yeah. like that, but we won't go there this time. <laughs> could we see that? Could that maybe happen at some point? It'd be great. Um, so look, I'm going to wrap things up and I'm going to yeah. ask the question that we're all here. This is what we want to know. This is what I want to know anyway. <laughs> so the best burger you've ever eaten... Yeah. 
I want to know where it was. So the restaurant, the city, the country, who you're with. Yeah. And most importantly, we need to know what was in it. What was in the best burger that you, Rosie Sykes, has ever eaten? Go. There are two. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay, okay. So I'll do the really glamorous one. Do the glam one first. Go on. Um, So that was in Miami. So I there's a there's a film called With Nan and I and there's a yep. um there's a phrase in that film where they they say we've gone on holiday by mistake and I felt a bit like that because this friend books me a holiday and she's unbelievably glamorous and we arrived in Miami and we were staying in a suite in the most ridiculous hotel you've ever called it's called the Faina Hotel and there is um a um. Damien Hurst, golden, gold-leafed elephant, wow. mammoth, in the foyer, in the kind of courtyard of the hotel. The hotel is stunning, looking over, it's on South Beach, I think it's called in Miami. I I'm not even quite sure, only there for three days. Anyway, the restaurant in the Faena um, is, um, at that time, I'm not sure if it is anymore, was um, the restaurant of Francis Malman who was one of the first people who was in the first series of um, Chef's Table. Okay. And he's the one who who um, is from an uh, island just off Patagonia. And he's very famous because he creates these huge fires and cooks over fire and just huge pieces of meat. So actually that burger was um, just a very, very, very simple but incredibly... Uh, rich, intense. I think there was some bone marrow in it. It was just meat and a bun. Literally like nothing else? Nothing else. Nothing else. Because it had been cooked. You know, this guy is like a god as far as a lot of people were concerned. Mm. We'd probably had several martinis, so we weren't that bothered. But but it was it was a beautiful, beautiful burger. But for me, I suppose, you know, I never imagined I would be eating a burger cooked yeah. in the restaurant of a, a guy from Chef's Table. Uh, it, right by a uh, Damien Hurst original. So it was a know. surreal moment. Surreal moment, yeah. yeah, with Katy Perry in the suite next door type thing. Yeah. But it was delicious mm-hmm. and incredible. But I think from a taste point of view, and I think this is what we were talking about before as well, childhood, yeah. is the burgers from the 1977 uh, Queen's Silver Jubilee celebration in my village. Oh my so god. It I was um so sweet. All the dads in the aprons. Of course, of course. <laughs> dads put the aprons on. Yeah. They've got the um flipper in exactly, their hands. Exactly, exactly. The the fish slice, because it was the seb, so it was nothing, you know. And um and they were just but they were probably not Charged. great burgers, but yeah. they were cooked over proper charcoal, all the dads hanging out. I just remember the smell. And there were onions as well. So fried onions. Yeah, fried yes. onions. Yeah. Uh, very simple white bun. The mum's buttering the buns like Billio, loads of butter. <laughs> and then snapped in, really well cooked, really well cooked. Um, but delicious because all, you know. And it was such an exciting day. But and that's the bunting. Yeah, and, that's the thing, isn't yeah. it? It's not always about the taste. It can no. be about the whole experience, yeah. isn't it? Do you remember, quick question before we wrap this up. Um just because I had a conversation with my dad about this. Do you remember Bix Relish? They did a burger relish, B-I-C, 
B-I-C, and they were Bix relishes. Now, in the 80s, um, early 80s, mid-80s, we, my dad worked for the company that made these, so we had them. They had a sweet corn relish, a cucumber relish, oh. a tomato relish, and that memory, as you were talking, yeah. I have the same with my dad cooking these oh. well-done burgers, but yeah. having this really chunky burger, which you just don't get now. You no. just kind of don't, they were quite acidic, had a lot yeah, of yeah. pickles in, and were like more like almost salsa kind of, um, relishes, yeah, quite if you know sort what I mean. Sophisticated, probably. In a way. Um, well, not. I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I wouldn't say that. But um, yeah, but similar. Yeah. And the floury buns. Yes, yes, definitely a floury bun, definitely. Yeah. But it was all about just a really happy time. Yeah. But there's a smell and a taste, definitely. But that's why I think that's why I wanted to give you two because they're so far they're apart. So, exactly. But they're both incredible memories yeah. of burgers. I love it. So thank you so much for talking to me. Oh. We literally could have spent hours talking. <laughs> it's been amazing. Thank, thank you, you, Rosie. And join us next time. See ya. See ya. Okay, that's episode one done. Um, thanks so much for listening. Um, you can follow Rosie on Instagram at Rosie Bluebell, and you can pick up any of her three books, The Kitchen Revolution, The Sunday Night Book and Roasting Pan Suppers online from Waterstones or Heifers. Um, I will see you next time for episode two.